Um, so I'll be preaching from Hebrews 11, and so you can look at that on your bulletins. This is Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16. Uh, let me read this for us. <clears throat> These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this day, this Lord's Day. Um, we wish we can gather together and worship you. And Lord, as part of that worship this morning, would you now bless both the reading and preaching of your word? Lord, we need you. Uh, would you would you speak to us here now in your word? Lord, would you deal with our hearts in all the right ways and places that you know that we need and ways that we don't even know that we need? So would you open our eyes and open our ears now and to receive you and your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this text is a pretty personal one for me, and so I, I've shared a little bit already, but I'll just you know, say, say a little bit more about my family background. Um, I am um, a Taiwanese-American immigrant to this country. I was born there in Taiwan, and my parents and I immigrated to America when I was just four years old. Um, to this city, to be precise. So I, this is all I've known all of my life until three years uh, ago, God called me to uproot my entire life here and to move to New York City to start RUF Gotham. <clears throat> like so many other immigrants to America, it was not easy growing up here. I remember being the singled out and beat up by students at school, at the, at the elementary school I went to, because I was the only Asian kid in class. <clears throat> and I watched my parents, and I watched how hard it was for them being mocked in this country uh, for their broken English, even though they carried with them um, you know, master's degrees from Taiwan. Um, being taken advantage of, <clears throat> having a hard time finding friends and community here. Um, I saw my parents live in fear, they were reluctant, they, they, they isolated themselves. They were reluctant to participate in the activities and rights afforded them as citizens of this country because of their fear of the unknown. They didn't quite always feel safe and seen here. They, they felt like foreigners in a foreign land. And so for me, I was often ashamed of who I was and how God made me. Um, I didn't look like those around me, and I wished that I belonged. And I was ashamed um, of my Asian name, um, and that my because my proud parents, Asian parents, did not wish to give me an English one. And I would often catch myself wishing that I weren't Asian American, but wishing that I were white, or part of the majority culture here. I didn't want to feel like a foreigner. I wanted to find home, wherever that was. And I have a hunch that I'm not alone in that, in this room. And even though, um, while I have experienced the love of God in Christ, 
and I've experienced in real life what it means to be welcomed into his family, which is the church, and and I'm growing to appreciate um, who I am in Christ and how he's made me and the unique story that he'd chosen to give me, this homesickness will always be something I carry with me wherever I go. And you enter into that, enter a text like Hebrews 11, um, speaking about our fathers and mothers in the faith. This is often called the hall of faith. Um, You have these big names of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, David, Moses, Sarah, Enoch, Abel. These are matriarchs and patriarchs of the faith. And then God, you know, they didn't know about it at the time, but unknowingly they were chosen by God to be a part of his plan of redemption. And so I'm reading through Hebrews 11, and I'm reading these snippets of these amazing stories of faith. I'm going, mm-hmm, oh yeah, I remember that reading about that in Sunday school, and oh wow, I forgot all about that. That's a, this are, that's a crazy story. And then I get to verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 13. And we're told that these giants of faith counted themselves as foreigners and strangers in this world, seeking a better country. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Uh, Because if you know me, growing up in Atlanta, the only place where I didn't quite feel like a foreigner was in my Chinese church, where Yowser and I grew up, sorry, Daniel and I grew up in. And I thought I I was done being a foreigner when I became a Christian. I'm part of the family, right? True. That's but half the story. Because if we want to have enduring faith, one that lasts, one that gets through the worst of life's hardships, one that makes it to the very end, that we would die in faith, right? Which is said in the very first verse of our passage, the wish of every pastor. You guys seem a pretty young church. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I mean, the wish of every pastor, the goal of every pastor is to prepare you for death and to meet Jesus. And so if, if we... If we want to have enduring faith, we need to talk about um, what it means. What it, talk about and own what it means to be exiles on this earth. What it means to be mistreated and looked down and feeling like and, and knowing that we don't fully belong here. So here's where we're going. I'll be working with this thesis today. A faith that endures is one that embraces the exilic life. A faith that endures is one that embraces the exilic life. So three E words. What's the word exilic? It's kind of weird, right? Not often used. It's a holistic word. I think it's a great word. Describe what it means to live as a Christian. Um, It's the adjectival form of the word exile. It means that you're somebody who's living away from home, looking to go home. And that's who we are as Christians. We are a people away from home, waiting and longing to go home. So I'll look at this. We'll look at this in two ways. One, what enduring faith looks like includes one, confessing that as believers we are foreigners and exiles in this world. And two, we're those that desire and seek a better country. Let me say that one more time. Enduring faith, what does it look like? 
those that confess that as believers, we are foreigners and exiles in this world, and second, we're those that desire and seek a better country, our identity and our mission. So first, we're told that Abraham and his offspring acknowledge themselves as foreigners and exiles, strangers on this earth. But if you think about that, if you know anything about the Old Testament Abraham, it's a pretty incredible statement to say because uh, before, if you look just a little bit before Hebrews 11.9, we're told that Abraham lived in the land of promise with his sons, Jacob and Isaac, and yet they still knew that this was not it. Now, they could be living in the promised land and still know that on this earth they were still strangers and wanderers waiting to go to their real home. The Greek word here is translated in our English translations, omitted or acknowledged. Um, But as I read other Bible commentators, they spoke about how the root of uh, the word is actually better thought of as as a little something stronger than that a little bit more bold, a robust confession, if you will, instead of simple acknowledgement. So um, from the earliest days of the church, the, er- the days of the early church, there was a saying that early Christians would say. It was this, and I'll say it in the Greek, kurios Christos, Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. But if you think about the historical context in which they said that in, it was a time in which Caesar was the emperor, and he made all the people then say, bow to him and say, Caesar's Lord. Christians would not do that. Instead, they would say, no, you're not the Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. So they were, we were defiant in that. And so the same, the same same is true for us today. But... Have you ever thought about what else you're confessing if you confess Christ as Lord? Let me make a kind of a marriage analogy. In the same way that you promised that man or that woman on your wedding day that that you would love and cherish them and them only till death you part, did you realize that you were saying yes to them was no to every other possible suitor? That, uh, and so for us, when we say that Jesus is Lord, it means that nothing else is Lord. Not our career pursuits or our hobbies or our family or our self-image, reputation, not the state or preferred brand of political ideology or our dream life, whatever that might be. So to confess Jesus as Lord is to confess everything else that comes from having Jesus as Lord of your life. Abraham and his family confessed the Lord, and along with that, confessed and accepted and owned this reality that they were strangers and aliens, foreigners in a foreign land. And that's why I've said that an enduring faith is one that embraces the exilic life. And I think the message here is so crucial in this time of this stage and uh, this life of the uh, stage of the life of the American church, and yet it is so difficult and strange to hear, because no one, including myself, no one likes to think of ourselves as foreigners, as aliens, sojourners, exiles, marginalized immigrants. You think about all your life, that what you work for, 
when you, when you show your resume, you want to show that you belong, right? You want to get in if you don't already feel that you're in. So spiritually speaking then, why is it important for us to accept and confess our identity in this world as spiritual exiles and aliens? Firstly, it's important because if we don't, we may not endure in the faith. We will expect an easy life filled with great spiritual highlights, but then we will quickly fall away when hardship comes. And Jesus talked about this in the parable of the four soils, didn't he? Well, part of embracing the exilic life is that there will be many, many times as part of following Christ, desiring his kingdom, that you will feel like you don't belong, that you will feel like you don't fit in, even mocked, looked down on, hated by the world for it. And it's being, instead of being knocked down and out by it, I want you to know that from the place of suffering and seeking to live faithfully outside the mainstream on the seemingly irrelevant margins can be the birthplace of great spiritual power. Consider what Pastor Abe Cho, who's a pastor in New York City, um, says in his Redeemer City to City article, reaching the West with the spirituality of the margins, where he says, a way forward for the American church, which has become too accustomed with power and privilege, is to learn from the spirituality of churches um, who are used to living on the margins, the black church here in America, immigrant churches, which we are connected to and familiar with, right? The global church. He says that learning from our brothers and sisters used to living on the margins will help us to confront our idolatries that we are blind to or become blind to. For scripture, for the scriptures to pierce our hearts like they were always meant to and to live a radically countercultural way. So here's a taste of that. It's done in the style of Jesus often in the Gospels. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Okay? Um, you have heard it said that the world's problems can be solved by the power of the state, so the government, the market, and technology. But I say unto you to set your hope fully on the grace that is brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's First Peter 1. How about another? You've heard it said that Jesus will protect you from discomfort, inconvenience, and self-denial. But I say unto you, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Confessing being spiritual exiles and aliens will actually help us to endure in our faith. Secondly, it's important because if we don't confess this, we will continue to hope in the things of this life and world when we were never meant to find our ultimate hope and satisfaction here. And it leads us to our second point, which is desire that we are those that desire and seek a better country. So I forget what time it is. I think it's, yeah, it's 2022, right? But if you remember last year, which feels like five, 10 years ago, um, back in 2021, um, often in the news was a walrus um, named Wally. Anybody hear about him? No? Okay. Um, well, this is an Arctic walrus who experts think um, slept, fell asleep on an ice block, and uh, he floated. It kind of broke off and it floated away 
and he woke up to realize that he is no longer home and are in the Arctic. He woke up in Wales. Uh, it sounds like a children's book, right? All the walrus floats to Wales. Um, but ever since March of 2021, Wally has appeared in several different European cities, uh, different harbor port cities, looking for home and for friends. He's shown up in Ireland. He's shown up in England. He's uh, shown up in France. And the poor guy, he's been hit by boats. And he's been a danger to others. And um, so recently he's been climbing up on boats and he's been damaging them in England. So they actually built him a pontoon for him to, to rest on so he doesn't damage any more boats. And uh, it's actually pretty sad because um, people that know are experts in walruses. I don't want you to call them. But um, they, know, they, they say that... Uh, he might be doing that to self-soothe because walruses are highly uh, social creatures and it's really rare for a walrus to be by itself for so long. Thankfully, uh, the last time I checked, Wally was on his way back to the Arctic. And so, um, so yeah, I, I kind of lost track of Wally. I need to look it up. But um, the same thing is true for us as believers. Like Wally, we're not home. But unlike Wally... Um, our home isn't in the Arctic or where we came from. Home is where we're going. We're homesick. We're homesick for a place that we, we've never been before. I'm no, sorry, not for a place we've been before, but we're homesick for a home that is to come. Look with me at verses 14 and 15. They make this clear. People who say such things show they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. So part of living a life as an exile is that you're looking for home. You're seeking your homeland. But what's clear is that it's not a land or city that we used to be in. It's not the reminiscing of the good old days like I do when I come back to Atlanta. Um, because if that were true, Abraham and his family would be doing everything possible to return to it, but they didn't. But there was a hunger, though. There was this longing and heartache for a home to come. So look now at the next verse, verse 16. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. I don't know how you feel when you read those words. May God disturb the comforted, May he comfort the disturbed. The comfort here for you that if you're fed up with this world, with the injustices, the racism, the division, the violence, the poverty, the corruption, the death, the diseases, both physical, mental, and spiritual, fed up. Is it anyone with me this afternoon? Fed up? Amen? Amen. This ain't it. Hey, I love this city just as much as you do, but we know that this is not what it's supposed to be. Then the way that this word meets you is that you are not crazy. You are not crazy at all because as a Christian, you, we were supposed to seek and desire a better country. Or if we need to be disturbed a little bit or maybe a lot, I invite you to read this again because I think it will rock us. Maybe you love America fine the way it is, a little too fine, 
and you lack any desire for a better country because you think you've found it, and it's very comfortable. And with all humility, I tell you, for the Word of God says that you haven't found it. You haven't found that better country. This is not the exilic life. Or maybe you're looking for a better earthly country. You're sick of America. You think to yourself, if I could just move to Spain, if I could just move back to Korea, if I could just move to Japan, things would be better. Whatever that is in your mind, whether ultimately your hope has been placed on a better version of America or a different country, um, or the fast-tracking of a better America of the future with more representation and more excellence and a more just nation for everyone. And these are good, very, very good and important things. Don't get me wrong. But um, looking at this text, Hebrews 11, um, you know, here in this text, look, talking about enduring faith, it's crucial to remember that as exilic people looking for a homeland, a better country, our faith is not rooted in the circumstances of this country. Whether that's in politics or the economy and how expensive the oil is or the job market or the real estate or education or public safety, our faith is looking forward to a better country, yes, but a heavenly one. One designed, built, and prepared for us by God himself. Which, instead of making us so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good, which is a common critique of those who, quote unquote, think about heaven too much, I actually think that makes us the best neighbors and citizens right now. I don't have the time to get deeply into it, but as resident aliens in this world waiting for that better city, with our hearts transformed by Christ and our minds transformed in such a way to have a sanctified imagination of God's kingdom, we should be the most loving, caring, welcoming, hospitable, and concerned people for our city because our hope comes from a better city. There's a great letter I want to commend it to you. It's also from the early church. It's called the letter to Dionetus. That's D-I-O-G-N-E-T-U-S. I I just recommend you go look it up and read it. It's really short. Um, It's a letter describing the early church, what early Christians were perceived as. Really peculiar, strange people, but for some reason, they were kind of attractive in the way they lived. So let me just read a part of it for us. They, being these early Christians, they play their full role as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. They share their meals, but not their wives. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They are obedient to the laws, but they live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. They live in poverty, but enrich many. I think that's close to what I think is trying to call the exilic life. The kind of life that makes onlookers puzzled, confused, yet curious and asking questions. And now let's look at the last half of verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them, because he has prepared a city for them. It exists. It exists. This perfect city, the city of God. Oh, to be home and to have all our homesickness and yearnings met. 
just like you're not crazy to know that you're not home, you are not crazy to know that there is a home that your sojourning and exilic heart craves for. It's like that C.S. Lewis quote, which uh, I know I mentioned here last time, but let me just say it one more time here. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. If a baby feels hungry, well, there's food. If a duckling wants to swim, there's a thing called water. If we have sexual desires, well, there's a thing called sex. If I find in myself in which no desire or experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Do you have it? Do you have this desire, a kind that knows that there's a better world than this one because this world, this country, this city just cannot be it? The Word of God says it exists. God is preparing it for us and taking us there. What does it look like? Earlier in verse 10, we're told that the foundations of which our designer and builder is God himself. In Hebrews 13, 13, it says, For here we have no lasting city, for we seek the city that is to come. And the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, calls the city New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, a holy city, like a bride prepared and adorned for her husband, where God will dwell with us and we will be his people. No more sin, no more evil, no more tears, because God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or crying or mourning or pain. We're told that a river of life will flow through the middle of the city, the tree of life that on both sides yields 12 kinds of fruit, which, by the way, symbolizes the full scope of all God's people. And its leaves are for the healing of nations. All of God's exilic people will finally be home, reconciled to God and one another. Great multitudes from every tribe and nation and tongue And it will be on that day, I promise you, it will be on that day everything that you ever thought that it would be and more. And you will, and you will be finally be home and you will let, you will blow your mind that when you turn to your right and your left and you look on the expression of the faces of your brothers and sisters that you will see on their faces, they too have found home. Isn't that amazing? It's not a country club where only for the rich and famous. It's not the slums where the poorest of the poor congregate and live together. A city where everyone belongs, regardless of ethnicity, career, status, dress, family, home, for every single member of God's house. How good is that? How good is our God? I want to go. I want to go. Do you want to go? As King David said, I was glad when they told me, let us go to the house of the Lord, the house of Zion. Oh, Jerusalem, we have been standing here at your gates. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It feels so close we're not quite there yet. 
So we've looked at today that enduring faith is about embracing the exilic life to confess who we are in this world, strangers and aliens, exiles. We talked about desiring and seeking a better country, one that God is preparing for us. But it must be said that the object of our faith is in Christ Jesus, is in Jesus Christ. Whether, whether it is a journey or the heavenly destination, it is Christ that we look to. He is the one who both gives us the power to endure in faith, and he is the goal of our faith. We endure because we want to be like Christ, and we endure because we want to be with Christ in that city. And on this exilic journey, he's not asking us to do something that he hasn't already blazed a path beforehand for us. So we are never alone on this journey. I ask you, consider Jesus, the ultimate exile, a wanderer of heaven who just didn't take a, a, an international flight, but he left his father's throne above, far, far away from home. And he came to this earth, an immigrant, God incarnate as a man, and though a king, suffered mocking and humiliation from those whom he came to save, from those whom he came to love and to build a home for. Who, through he, uh, who Hebrews 13 says he suffered outside the camp, which if you know anything about that, it means that it was reserved for animal sacrifices and the show or those that were cursed of God and cast away forever from God's presence. Jesus suffered the ultimate alienation and humiliation. Why? Why would Jesus leave his glory in heaven? Well, why would he choose a life of a man of sorrows? Well, why would he choose a life of rejection, of being misunderstood, even by his own family and closest friends? To be reviled, despised, to be homeless. Foxes of holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Why did he choose to suffer kangaroo courts and the grossest travesty of justice and ended with being nailed to a Roman cross, flanked and surrounded by other criminals? The answer is so that you and I can be found and brought home. And so that you and I can be forgiven of our sins that alienated us and separated us from God. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and he ascended into the heavens with his Father to go prepare a place for us so that we could be welcomed home, to have a room in our Father's house with vistas of heavenly glory so that we can have today an enduring hope through life's worst trials so that we, so that, that can energize the most feeble faith, though we, because though we know that we're not home, we have one who is taking us home. Jesus suffered outside the city so that he could bring you and I into his better city. Not one where the builders are men, but one where the designer and builder is God himself. So I just want to simply close with this. NCA, keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up just yet. It's not supposed to be easy. We are strangers and aliens, exiles here. We're not yet home. But 
Keep longing for home. Until you get there, it's coming. I promise you, it's coming. And though you don't see it now, may God assure you and I of the things that are unseen and to give us faith to keep walking with him. Our Father, he loves us. He loves you. He sees you. He sees everything about you. He knows what you're going through. And he's proud of you. In Christ, he is well pleased with you. Or as a Hebrews of, uh, the writer of Hebrews puts it, he is not ashamed to be called your God. He is not ashamed to be your father. Don't you know that you are your father's joy? So keep going. He's preparing a home for us, this perfect city. Keep going and see it. Keep going. Let that homesickness drive you ever closer to Christ. Let that homesickness drive you ever closer to one another so that we can help each other keep going until we do get home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ, who though he had every right and privilege and blessing of heaven, Lord, he laid that down to come for us, to die for us, that we might be reconciled to you, that we might be brought home, that we might be brought into your family, and our future and our home is secure. Lord, help us to endure in this life where there are many times we are scorned for following you, where we don't often feel like we belong. And it's part of that. It's part of the Christian life, exilic life. And would you strengthen our faith? Would you give us a clear hope and vision of this city? And Lord, with that, help us to love this city. doesn't mean just we stay at home and wait for the world to burn. But Lord, help us to love others. Help us desire your kingdom. Help us to have that sanctified imagination that seeks your kingdom here today, Lord. Loving and loving our loving you and loving our neighbor here, God. We ask you for your help, Lord. Sustain us. Um, fill us with this gospel hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.